0: Certainly, for me, when I was writing this book, thinking about what it would be like to be a cool headed, sharp witted, entirely charismatic and compelling person who would be able to reorder the world around her as suited her best (laughs) definitely felt very, very appealing to me. And I think that must be the appeal. We all want to do grand things sometimes in our lives. And certainly, writing the character of Mrs. King my protagonist in The Housekeepers. She's someone who is willing to reshape the world around her to get what she thinks is right and to get her just desserts. And I think that's that's a desire and motivation that we all feel from time to time. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block podcast. for New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us.
1: And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the newest episode of the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block podcast. We love a fabulous debut, and today we are truly hitting the jackpot. Our guest today, Alex Hay, has just published The Housekeepers, which has been called a cross between Oceans 8 and Downton Abbey. And we certainly do not disagree. And we can't wait to dive into our conversation. I am Ron Block.
2: And I'm Meg Walker. Alex Hay grew up in the United Kingdom, in Cambridge and Cardiff, and has been writing as long as he can remember. He studied history at the University of York and wrote his dissertation on female power at the royal courts combing the archives for every scrap of drama and skullduggery he could find. (laughs) He has worked in magazine publishing and the charity sector and lives with his husband in London. The Housekeepers is his debut novel and won the Caledonian Novel Award. Welcome to the podcast, Alex.
0: Thank you so much for having me. And do you know, it occurs to me that when I first drafted a few lines for my author bio, I forgot that that would require everyone to say the word skullduggery forevermore. So I appreciate that very much. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> I think it's great.
1: It's wonderful. So it kind of makes you smile. It does actually. Yeah. yeah. The whole bio kind of lets me know, now I get it. Now I know where this book came from. Exactly. So the blurb for your book from Sarah Penner describes it as a rollicking fun and entirely original a story and she goes on to say that anyone who relishes a good party gone wrong will devour this we could not agree more there's so much darkness in the world and things to be worried or anxious about so tell us did you set out to deliberately write a book that is such an escapist good time and what do you hope your readers take away from
0: the book what a great question i did do exactly that for myself and if if if, not anybody else i started this novel in the summer of 2020 so here in London we had just come out of the first um, COVID-19 lockdown and I think anything that could spark joy in my life felt like a good thing at that moment and so from the start this book was about having fun having fun from a plot and structure perspective having a big audacious eccentric cast of characters who I would love mm-hmm. um, having jokes having twists, having turns, and so it proved to be. Uh, This book was a bit of a head-scratcher to structure and plot, but it was always a joy to write, and I adored it. And I wonder, actually, whether I will ever have as much fun writing a book ever again. I hope, fingers crossed, (laughs) I will. But yeah, joy joy, joy all the way through.
2: Love that. I love that. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Well, another Friends
2: in Fiction favourite author, Nina de Gramont, calls your cast of characters... I love this. The most likable group of criminals (laughs) since Robin Hood's Merry Men. And the reading line on the book cover says, never underestimate the women downstairs. Another, boy, if that doesn't make you want to pick up the book and buy it, I don't know what will, but so what do you think we find so delicious about these underdog and uprising stories?
0: Well, first of all, I have to say a huge thank you to Nina for those very kind words, and indeed Sarah Penner as well for for the blurb that you mentioned from from her. What brilliant writers! How lucky am I um, to get those, those those kind endorsements? I think this the I think the story of an underdog is always compelling because don't we all sometimes feel squashed and jaded and more than a little bit? disagreeable and perhaps wish to right some wrongs we see around us whether on a very existential level or or a little bit closer to home certainly for me when I was writing this book thinking about what it would be like to be a cool-headed sharp-witted entirely charismatic and compelling person who would be able to reorder the world around her as suited her best (laughs) definitely felt very very appealing to me and I think that must be the appeal we all want to do grand things sometimes in our lives and certainly writing the character of mrs king my protagonist in the housekeepers she's someone who is willing to reshape the world around her to get what she thinks is right and to get her just desserts and i think that's that's a desire and motivation that we all feel from time to time
1: absolutely 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 true. So the book really dives in and examines class wealth and privilege as well. And you give us a ringside seat to all the opulence and the glamour, but also to the corruption of the ruling class. How did you nail those details? What was it about that time period that drew
0: you in? I'd always longed to write a book set in the 1900s because I think it's a fascinating period. It's such an interestingly enterprising, changing time. You have on one hand this old world emerging from the Victorian period, which is lost to us now. It's rich in those period details that that I and perhaps we so adore. But equally, Uh, entering the 20th century you get these fantastic flashes of modernity and certainly for me going through old street photography or accounts of people driving creating inventions making new money that was all so rich and fast and full of motion and gumption um, and all of that felt like a really powerful period within which to set a story so I suppose that world first of all drew me in and of course, not all that glitters is gold. So scratching on the surface of, of some of the, the delicious gloss that you mention, pretty quickly, you discover corruption and abuse of power and exploitation that sits, sits not very far away um, from the glamour. And delving into that was uh, a way for me to make sure the book had some heft and darker movements underneath the surface and um, so that really was a case of of research and um, particularly into the dark side of the service trade and um, which was obviously booming at that time and understanding the potential risks faced particularly by young women entering the service trade was was a sort of core part of of, of research at the heart of this novel
1: nice yeah, I mean, it really felt drawn in. Like, I felt like I was there. It was so amazing that like, your ability to pull the reader to that time period just, like, was stellar.
0: Oh, that's kind of you. Thank you. Yeah.
1: That's so true.
2: <laughs> and speaking of pulling us in, each of these women feels so real. So were they based on anyone in particular or just pure figments of your imagination?
0: They are figments of my imagination. I gave the cast <sighs> traits that I suppose I most admire. So in Mrs. King, my protagonist, we see charisma and good, strong leadership. In Winnie, her loyal lieutenant, we see um, loyalty and friendship. In Hexabar Grand Court, we see gumption and audacity and fabulous uh, ability, um, playing a decoy duchess, which I, I would love to be able to do. And I suppose the truth <laughs> is that I also gave them traits that are my own that perhaps are less worthy so irritability and envy and occasionally (laughs) being a bit bad tempered or impatient um those probably come from me rather than anybody real so I suppose there's a little bit of me in all of them and a little bit of wish fulfillment from me in all of them too
1: I love that. Even the Janes. I love the Janes. I love the (laughs) Janes.
0: Viva la Janes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yes, yes. I wondered when starting this book, can I get away with having two housemaids with a particularly fantastic skill at the trapeze who are very simply called Jane 1 and Jane 2? And I wondered for a long time whether I would get away with that through the editorial process and seeing that people love the Janes, root for the Janes, and are delighted (laughs) to see the, the central and pivotal role they play in the plot has been, I have to say, one of the biggest treats of the entire publication journey.
1: Well, I, I can that. imagine. That's so, they're so cool.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, everything about these characters, from their language and mannerisms and their dress, and even the food you talk about, it all feels so authentic. So how did how did you talk to us about how you created all those details and brought everything to life so vividly?
0: Well, the research was just absolutely delicious. And frankly, I could have spent ages going down every possible rabbit hole you can imagine, I suppose the the first thing I had to do was work out what was inside the house at the heart of this novel. So this is a book about a big robbery, and therefore it's very important that I'm clear on what is in every room. The quality of the carpets, the beautiful furnishings, the drapes, the chandeliers, all of the research that I did for building the possessions and objects inside the house came largely from looking at accounts of real houses that once existed all the way down Park Lane in West London. There were some fantastic excerpts from the Illustrated London News that were so rich in detail and gave me answers to questions like what type of paintings were hanging on the walls, what sort of furnishings might be lurking in the corners. And that gave me the satisfaction that there was an authenticity to all of that opulence, which was very, very pleasing indeed. And more broadly, I had the absolute joy of searching out strange and quirky period details or odd inventions that might help my gang pull off their very (laughs) audacious heist. I, of course, had to take some liberties with the historical record on that score. So um, there is one particular part of the story where the plot is quite contingent on my gang creating the illusion of a fire. And so I um, discovered on Listverse, hooray for the joys of Google, um, when right. knew, um, the uh, late Victorian contraption, which was a parenti smoke machine, um, which simulated the appearance of smoking cigarettes because late Victorian individuals believed that the, the perfume was was so delicious and glamorous that you would, of course, want to fill your parlours with it. So asking the reader to believe that my gang was able to buy a huge... Number of those contraptions, at wholesale prices is perhaps a little bit of a stretch, but otherwise, uh, the, the period details came broadly from reality. Wow!
1: Yeah, I want to give away things
0: so badly, but I'm not going. <laughs> no, to sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll retreat from that one. We'll, we'll see whether that. We can... No, 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 that,
1: that was good. I know that there's the, just the the secrets that we learn as the book goes on are just like, like the, the, delicious. Like the word, I can't. Get that word out of my head. Everything is so like so good. It's a book that I really needed to read right now. So I love that. But I did a little dive on you a little bit, and I heard a read about something called the spreadsheet of doom. Can you
0: talk to us about that? Oh my god, no, I don't want to remember it. Oh, the horror episode. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> the the horror. horror. Of course we can talk about the spreadsheet of doom. So. The starting point for this novel was very much plot and structure. I was really itching to write a heist because I wanted to play around with the engineering and see if I could build a heist novel of my own. And it became clear to me very quickly that I was going to need to have a plan to help me do that. And so I built my spreadsheet of Doom, which effectively set out all the key beats of a heist plot And for fellow writers listening to this podcast, I'm sure plenty of them will be familiar with um, the incomparable Save the Cat. Detailing the heist and golden fleece beats on the first column of my spreadsheet was really key. Then (laughs) I started mapping out every scene in every chapter and very quickly everything unraveled. So the rest of the cells were filled with the mad wanderings of my mind. However, The result of that was that I built a very lengthy, detailed, madcap spreadsheet, which was my saving grace when trying to write the first draft. So actually, the first draft came quite quickly um, because I was able to, to write up the scenes that I put together, but oh my God, I cannot tell you very quickly. I realized the plot holes were absolutely enormous and you could drive a Edwardian omnibus through um, <laughs> them. So the spreadsheet of doom in the end was just doom and, <laughs> and and had to evolve several times.
1: Whatever works, right? I'd love um, to get a in, look at that thing. <laughs>
0: exactly, oh my God, I know. Well, I, I, I found some snippets of it and the first draft the other day, and I was looking back and it was funny to see actually how at this point talking to you i suppose i'm about three years on from first putting it together and certainly i've got characters with no names a huge gaps in in what's going to happen next lots of in brackets insert something interesting and fun here um so (laughs) yes i think i think it would be a sort of depressing thing to look at but it certainly helped me get through that first draft
2: I love those placeholders. Uh, Mary Kay Andrews, who's one of the hosts of Friends of Fiction and Founders, was saying, uh, telling a story the other day about how she, and I've seen this because I've read her manuscripts in early draft form, but she writes blah, 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 when she needs to like fill something in, and then occasionally... One of those will still be in there, like w- when it gets to the printed galley and someone will be like, yeah, what's blah, blah. Oh, I <laughs> love like, that. Blah, blah. I
0: <laughs> I love that. Blah, blah, blah. Do you mean blah, blah, blah or just blah, blah? I love, I love <laughs> that. Yes. I think there's quite a lot of that in in my manuscripts as well. Messy first draft. Messy doesn't even cover it. It's yeah. chaos. Chaos writ large. But that's yeah. what you need to do, right? Just to get to the, from the first page right. to the last.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yes. Well, who doesn't love a good heist story? And as we said in, in the intro, you know, your book's been compared to Ocean's Eight. And um, so can you tell us uh, if you had any big inspirations and if you were influenced by any other particular writers or, or books? And what struck me about this is, you know, it's a familiar structure, right? But you still built a world that felt so fresh. So I'd love to, I'm sure you had influences, but then you created something all your own. So talk to us about all that.
0: Well, any comparison to the Oceans franchise is very, very special and exciting. Um, And I am delighted. Um, So, you know, I think Oceans 11, for example, is an absolute masterclass. Believe it or not, I have actually never seen Oceans 8. So I, I really, really need to now. But Ocean's Eleven, I have... Well, you
1: kind of wrote it, (laughs) but in a different time period. Maybe
0: it's a relief I haven't seen it in that case then. So I I, I must, because I've heard great things. It's fun. Um, It's really fun. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, Yeah, and I love that cast as well. So, I mean, some of the most incredible, incredible actors. Um, But Ocean's Eleven, I certainly did see and, 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 and adored. And I agree with you. I think a heist is... I mean, who, as you say, who doesn't love a heist? It gives you so much. It gives you such clear movements of gathering a team, unveiling a plan, throwing a million obstacles in along the way and then trying to pull everything together um, as as um, excitingly as you possibly can. So uh, all of those components of, of great heists have always appealed to me. And in terms of inspiration and, and books that that have always drawn me in and that I admire. I mean, where to begin? I suppose from um, a historical fiction perspective, there are so many writers and fellow debuts actually working at the moment with some absolutely stellar and fantastic and fun fiction coming out. I've just started The Other Side of Mrs. Wood by Lucy Barker, which I think is just out in the States this past couple of weeks as well. And I think readers of The Housekeepers might enjoy that too. It's witty and acerbic and beautifully realized and fun and set in the late Victorian seance scene so that I, nice. you know, I'm, I'm adoring diving into but sort of looking back at books that that I have looked at green with envy over the years I mean writers like Kate Atkinson Kate Atkinson mm. is incredible and incomparable right. her sort of ability to shape a whole tapestry of story with such wit and creativity and inventiveness just never fails to amaze me. I think her novel Life After Life is probably one of the books I've gifted most to people over the years. Just oh, I, That's an excellent, excellent I, book. I'm glad we're, we're fellow Life After Life fans. Oh, yes. Yeah, I adore it. And I suppose the writer who I love the most is the British crime novelist Ruth Rendell, who also writes under the pen name Barbara Vine. She is a master of writing books with big houses and bad people and suspense existing um, on every page. And her novel, The House of Stairs, is probably one I come back to again and again and again for its ability to pull together an eccentric and difficult cast of characters. And of course, in a Ruth Rendell Barbara Vine novel, there's going to be death and horror working not too far away um but but the reasons for that are what are going to grip you and pull you through the story so you know that's that that classic suspense appeals to me enormously but i read really agnostically i i just love all manner of commercial fiction anything fast anything beautifully written i love gorgeous prose and gripping plots um, and they come in all shapes and sizes and from all authors. So, yeah, I, I just, I love to read. And reading has always been the sort of gift that has kept on giving for me. Love that. Lifelong readers.
2: you yep. are in the right place.
1: you yeah. <laughs> are in the right place, for sure. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, where did the idea for this first develop in you?
0: So plot was the starting point and a sort of desire to try and write a heist almost as an exercise But simultaneously, I was really longing to write something set in the 1900s and had loved a book for many years called The Lost Mansions of Mayfair, which tells the story and recounts a whole string of glorious opulent mansions once strewn all across West London, which are mostly lost now to redevelopment or to the Blitz. And I was thinking, God, I would adore to set a story in one of those houses, perhaps fictionalised for my own purposes. And I began to ponder the idea of a cast of servants downstairs living at a time when there seemed to be a seemingly endless supply of obedient staff. Imagining that cast of servants perhaps deciding to grab a little bit of privilege existing upstairs for themselves and slowly the cast And the group of women at the heart of this novel began sidling out of the green baize door underneath the grand staircase in my mind. And organically, their stories, their loyalties, their secrets began to take shape. And thus the sense of what the story could be and how it would feel and what the tone would would, would sound like um, was born.
1: Awesome. So after your actual writing and what, what you've done with things, was everything all laid out for you? Did you know where the story was going? But as you plotted it, did you get surprised by anything? I'm really asking, do you outline everything beginning to end or do you kind of develop it as you go along? Yes,
2: plotter
0: or pantser, if you will.
1: <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs>
0: well, this is such a good question because for this book, I was an absolute plotter and latterly I have become an absolute pantser. And never would have predicted it. So, to go back one step, writing The Housekeepers, it felt quite important that I had a plan. And also, I loved the idea, and I was so excited to write the book that I really didn't want to let myself down by getting anything wrong. So, I actually planned this novel to within an inch of its life for that reason. So, very, very much in the plotter camp for this one. And the process for me was trying to create tent poles to the structure first. So, thinking through those big core heist beats and thinking through what's going to happen at those first big act turns. What could the midpoint feel like? and What do we want the climax to feel like, i.e. how much madness can I throw into the mix? And then, for me, it was about blocking out each character's individual arcs, journeys, narrative questions, secrets to be revealed, and to try and plot out on paper where those might land. As I worked through my own edits and then later working with my editors as well, we spent a lot of time trying to think about those key reveals and where they needed to come and how to handhold the reader through the story so that I didn't overload too much. Because candidly, this is a book that has a pretty big Cast of characters. I love multiple. It's great. I'm always really happy. Um, but it, it can become confusing. So trying to think through in that planning stage, how am I going to introduce each individual person and their story and their backstory, and make sure that feels coherent was a big consideration. And I will, I will tell you the glorious spreadsheet of doom did not quite get that right. It did. Its <laughs> but Really only in the writing was I able to sort of marshal the story into to some shape and order and then went through many, many, many rewrites over the course of the year that followed before sending it out to agents. And then once I had agent representation, it needed much more work still and of course, that was even before we were lucky enough to, to um, have a deal and have editors working with me on it. And again, at that stage, we went through big structural edits and um, really thoughtful character edits too, just trying to draw out the right framework to the story um, and also make sure that the, the, the personal journey for every character landed in the right way for the reader. So a long answer to your question, lots and lots of plotting, but lots of organic work around that along the way.
1: That's fascinating, though, and and we seldom get that kind of an answer. And I love it—the whole like <laughs> mapping it out and. But so I guess I already know the answer to this. But so the ending was always the ending.
0: The ending was always the ending, and actually, the first that sorry, the last chapter. I think I drafted quite early to give myself a little bit of um, uh, a finishing line to race towards, and it did change and was sort of smoothed out in the editing process. But the emotional feel of the final few pages, bar a few modest tweaks in the very, very final edit, just before we sent it off to the typesetters, those final pages didn't move a whole lot, actually, all the way through. And I do find on the home run of a first draft, if you've kind of got some of the voice going there's a sort of mm-hmm. engine powering the story and things feel smoother and easier and if i think back to that first draft of the manuscript and some of the final chapters i probably wouldn't be surprised to see that there's not mega mega changes in other areas though there were huge wholesale massive changes um, and yeah the first <laughs> book would look almost unrecognizable <laughs> that's awesome
2: Well, Alex, we seldom ask this question, but your work practically demands it. Who do you see cast in the film version of The Housekeepers? And could you tell us if there's been any interest in adapting it for the screen?
0: Well, there has been interest in adapting it for the screen. Yay! (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready. So ready, Ron. Let us all uh, cross (laughs) our fingers and... Pray to the heisty um, powers. Yeah, let's, to, manifest. <laughs> let's manifest. Let's manifest. Let's manifest as a screen version. Um, so yes, it has been optioned for screen. Oh, lovely! It's not lost on me that lots is optioned, and it's always a journey, and many pitfalls can right. come along the way. But gosh, I would be, I would be overjoyed. I would watch it. That's all I can say. Um, <laughs> so, therefore, from a casting perspective, I actually, I actually struggle slightly to to think through. Who would be absolutely right? But, you know, certainly in my mind, there were um, some fantastic British actors who I thought would bring to life the, the sort of courage and charisma and slightly audacious nature of, of some of these fantastic women beautifully. So I will name no names. But talking of actors, I have to tell you, the narrator for the audiobook is absolutely phenomenal and hearing an actor take my words and jokes and lines and bring them to life was the most weird and magical experience I could have ever hoped for so the audiobook floored me lord only knows what would happen if there was a screen version I think I would pass out
1: (laughs) oh no Uh, no I didn't get that far do you can you tell us the name of the narrator
0: yes so the audiobook narrator here in the uk is jasmine blackborough
2: okay she's not familiar to me yeah me too
0: oh she's i mean she's terrific she's phenomenal so yeah listening to her just incredible range and skill was was an absolute marvel i'm very very lucky yeah
1: yeah it's it's certainly not easy to narrate an audiobook but boy when they get it right they get it right that is true okay well what can you tell us about any upcoming projects
0: Well I started working on book two a couple of days after finishing the copy edits on book one which possibly was slightly premature because I think I needed a break but I was talking about this with Sarah Penner who you mentioned before and I think it was something to do with fear that the wonderful opportunity of having a book coming out into the world might never be replicated and therefore I needed to write book two immediately. Um, as <laughs> I dived straight in to another novel set in the same world as The Housekeepers but starring a fresh cast and a new dastardly scheme and um, since we've been talking about process you might be interested to learn that I, having written The Housekeepers, was like right let's open up the spreadsheet off we go, and I began, here, we and here we go, and I began plotting it out. And I have to tell <laughs> you, it was just torture. And when I came to try and start putting stuff on the page, it just felt absolutely dead on the page. And I got to maybe somewhere between ten and twenty thousand words, maybe as far as twenty thousand words actually. And was just thinking, this is not right. It's not flowing. It just feels lifeless. And I circled back, refined the plan, tried again. And then actually, after a couple of attempts, realized this is just really not flowing for me. And so I went back to page one and to the point we were discussing earlier, went from being an inveterate planner to a absolute pantser. And just started trying (laughs) to unfold page by page, turn by turn, and and went down the the avenues that presented themselves. So, process wise, complete transformation from book one to book two. And the first draft is with my agent. So, we will have to see whether that resulted in a coherent story on fire. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love part. that you can be flexible. People yeah. are either one or the other, but you're kind of like exploring both uh, approaches. Yeah,
0: well, do you know? I was really worried about it because I was like, well, everyone's either one or the other. There's no fluidity in this. You know, you're either a plotter or a pantser, and, and, and never the two shall meet. So it's been interesting sort of trying both. But I had tried pantsing novels before, and I always used to get sort of 20,000 words, and the whole thing would collapse because I would just run out of steam. So it was quite scary, actually, when I was sort of at the, I came at 60,000, 70,000, 80,000. I think I'm almost there. Can I get to the end? Then I had the horrifying moment where I was like, well, now I'm at 80,000, 90,000. Hundred thousand. Hang on. When is this going to stop? <laughs> it was absolutely enormous. I um, needed a lot of culling. Uh, it's sort of cropped back to just under ninety thousand words now. But that, the whole the whole experience of sort of trying a different um, process was was scary. But yeah, we will we will see what see what comes of it
1: love that we're ready i'm already sitting in the front row Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. waiting also a lot of readers are going to want to follow you Absolutely. connect with you online and stuff where can they best find you and what's going on with your career and
0: and with the screen adaptation oh my gosh wow always love to hear from people so i'm manifesting I'm, but... <laughs> so manifesting with you bon thank you very much um so always love to hear from people you can get in touch with me in all sorts of places so my website is alexhaybooks.com and um, you can sign up to my email newsletter there um, or message me directly and i'm also on twitter and instagram at alexhaybooks as well perfect perfect
2: and hey we'll is get it ready it?
0: for a flood yeah right <laughs> h-a-y, H-A-Y h-a-y that is right yes
2: well alex we feature a lot of household names and repeat bestsellers and friends in fiction but we so love when we have the opportunity to introduce a debut author and so we're just so grateful that you joined us today and this was just such an absolute blast talking to you about this truly refreshing and captivating debut novel and we hope all of our listeners will rush out and buy it right away
0: absolutely thank you i have to say the most enormous thank you i love your podcast and it is an honor and a thrill to talk to you both and thank you so much for reading and for all your warm support it means so much so just lovely to be here
1: thank you yeah i love when a when a debut grabs me like this it's so awesome it is
0: no, thanks so
1: much and thank you to our listeners for tuning in for this conversation we are always aware that there are so many choices and appreciate you choosing to land with us be sure to visit the friends and fiction page to purchase a copy of the housekeepers while supporting indie bookstores on behalf of the fab four thank you for joining us and please be sure to tell a friend